1: Setting the pace with Alex and Fauci Alex and Fauci Alex and Alex If I put our jacks in the paint How you gon' stop me? How you gon' stop me? We can go head to head Call out your top three Call out your top three Look at the switch from Dorte Now that boy got three We got Holly Burton running point this is a Benedict for the shot. If anybody gon' come in the post, then we got Jalen Smith for the block. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team, we gon' need a mop. Smooth. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joining me today... It's the one and only Michael, kid Gilchrist Fachi Fachi. what's going on, brother?
2: All right. All right. Not a bad one. Not a bad one. I mean, the, the guy's shot is funky, but I guess he's the same about mine. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he's a former Dallas Maverick. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess so. Um, but man, I know some people were obviously, you know, like, what, what is this Dallas Mavericks hate? Look. I don't care enough about the Mavericks to hate them. I just thought they didn't have a good off
1: season. So, just, just you know. answer me this: Why did you put the Kings over the Mavericks? Because
2: the Kings haven't the, made the playoffs in how
1: many years, Podge? It's Like sixteen
2: years. But for the Kings to even make the tenth spot would mean the world to them. And they have upgraded the team, though. I mean, you look at it like Keegan Murray could be a Rookie of the Year. You know, you you still got the same core that you have over there. You got Sabonis for a full season now. You, Kevin Huerta, you bring in. I mean, they got, they got a good team. They got a good team. And when I say good team, I mean they got a good enough team to get the 10th spot. But look, whatever, it is what it is. I'm here to talk some Pacer basketball today.
1: Yeah, so before we get into our, our main topic, I had to ask you this because someone brought it up, and I think we can maybe do a deep dive podcast on it later uh, if we have the time to do it. But I'm curious, you know, you consider yourself the president of the Jermaine O'Neill fan club. That was our opening for a long time as I'd introduce oh. you to, to every episode when we first started the show. And, you know, looking back at some of the great Reggie Miller moments, you know, you talked about, you know, Jermaine having some moments in there. Uh, there was one game where I think he grabbed like 20 rebounds. I think it was yep. the Sixers game. So I'm just curious. Do you think Jermaine O'Neal's jersey should be retired? Oh man.
2: I remember we had this conversation years ago and honestly I do. Here's the thing. I know the Pacers like, very, very selective. I mean, you're talking about the ABA greats, and you're talking about Reggie, you're talking about Slick Leonard. But Jermaine O'Neal has the most all-star appearances in Pacer history. I mean, he he was someone that was an, a true MVP candidate, number three in MVP voting, 2003, 2004. Like, this guy did pretty much everything you could think of other than really bring the Pacers to a championship. And if it was not for the brawl, maybe the Pacers would have you know, made an appearance in the finals or something like that. And I just feel like what what I really hated was when they gave his number away to Al Jefferson, you know, because he was the one who got it before Malcolm Brogdon. And I just felt like it was like, man, you're just going to hold number seven for a while and then give it to Al Jefferson. Like that, that was a tough pill to swallow. And at this point, look, the Pacers aren't going to retire his number, but like Jermaine needs to be recognized more because look at this way, a six time all-star. Someone who wanted to be here. Someone who was happy to be here. Those guys don't grow on trees. They don't. Yeah. We're at a point now where, you know, Sabonis was a you know, multiple-time All-Star. Paul Jordan made it a couple times. But Jermaine O'Neal, man, that guy was underrated.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. I don't know if they don't count it because he didn't finish his career here or start it here, and maybe that's part of the reason. Um, I mean, he was a really good player. Don't get me wrong. And – I don't necessarily have a problem with them not retiring it, just to be honest with you, because I know how strict they are. Yeah, with, very
2: strict. One of you the know. more strict franchises. Out right.
1: There. But I have kind of noticed that they've changed their stance a little bit on how they go about doing things like we know about the tribute videos, and they've never did those before. And then after they made the trades this year, they did that. Um, going after restricted free agents, that's all changed. I kind of wonder, maybe they lighten up a little bit. And consider retiring jerseys more than they used to? Do you think that's a possibility? But if you weren't going to retire Jermaine's, do you think they're going to retire a guy like Paul George? He wasn't oh, Do you even think they
2: go back? So, they could go back and do it. I mean, it's not too yeah. late. I mean, it's never too late. I mean, there's guys
1: like Rick Smits who spent his whole career with the Pacers. You know? Well, okay, there's a good question. Who should have their jersey retired more, Smits or uh, Jermaine O'Neill? It's definitely tough.
2: Because Smiths has the longevity, exactly what you talked about, started and finished. You know, a guy who was a key piece of many Pacer teams, you know, from the the late 80s to all of a sudden to, you know, to the the 2000 finals team. Um, But Jermaine O'Neal had the the higher, you know, the higher peak or whatever you want to call it by far.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, Jermaine's a better player. I just mean in terms of importance to the franchise. I mean... That's a tough one. I mean, part of me wants to say Rick Smiths just because, like I, like you said, um, you know, longevity yeah. versus what was Jermaine here? Seven years, six years, something like that. Uh,
2: Eight years maybe? 2001 to like 2008, was, nine,
1: 2009. Yeah. I I mean. 2009, he was traded in Toronto. Yep. So,
2: yeah, um, I mean, you're I'm right. i to be it's honest. A- I have a Jermaine O'Neill Toronto jersey. I love him that much. That much do you have
1: one of every team you play for?
2: I I cannot find a Jermaine Suns jersey, a Warriors or Celtics. I have the Portland Trailblazers, I have an original one, like the, the original starter jerseys. It's honestly like skin tight, super small, but on eBay. Probably should have looked for a bigger one. And then I got like a like a remake stitched on, really nice Jermaine Trailblazers jersey. So Love okay. that. I got the 2003 All-Star Jermaine jersey, like really fresh All-Star Game 1s. And then I got a, a ton of Pacer 1s. And Did then I say- got his high school jersey, met him, he autographed that. I mean, that will forever be my favorite player. I don't think I'll ever, you know, love a basketball player as much as I love Jermaine. But yeah, quick on this. Yeah. Do you think his involvement in the malice at the Palace had anything to do with maybe not wanting to be as associated
1: with Jermaine? A thousand percent. I I was going to say, I think if the brawl never happens, it's probably already retired. I Um, I
2: do think that the Pacers very much wanted to distance themselves from anyone really involved in that. And I think that Jermaine is the kind of guy that unfortunately, I mean, he even talked about in the Netflix documentary. I mean, they weren't even really promoting him as an all-star when it came down to that. He was a starter in some of those all-star games. So it's sad. Definitely rubs me wrong. Um, I don't think the Pacers will change their stance on that, but... I do think that they could do a better job of making it more right with some of those guys. We've talked about Danny Granger, Jermaine O'Neal. Like these are guys that gave the Pacers a lot of good years. Well, it shouldn't just come down to being in the Raptors or not. But gotta do something.
1: I mean, they did have Ron Artest do the Metaverse and all that stuff last year for the All Star campaign. I mean, yep. Which I think that is huge compared to what Jermaine did. You know, if you're looking at the involvement with the bra. I and mean, basically Ron started the whole thing. So, you know, I, I just feel like if you think about Jermaine O'Neal highlights for the Pacers, almost every person will say that knockout punch and that brawl fight as like the number one thing that comes to their mind. So unfortunately I think that the whole thing just kind of gets overblown every time that it comes on, you know what I mean? And uh, it definitely killed the franchise's chance of winning a championship with that group. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but It's just crazy, man, because I feel like he's talented enough and did so much for this team during that time that he easily could have had his number retired. And I I think there's a chance, had he not gotten injured as often as he did towards the latter part of that career, maybe that he's viewed differently as well. But I was going to ask you real quick, because you talked about the Golden State, Phoenix and Boston jerseys. Did you have a Miami jersey? Did you say that?
2: Oh wow! No, yeah, I don't. No, you're right. I I think the Miami jersey could be more obtainable, but I I've never been able to find a Phoenix or a Celtics or a Warriors jersey. Like I, just, the time there was so limited that I just feel like they weren't really producing <laughs> many of
1: those. You you really have to just. I uh, I think what you're gonna have to do, Fachi, is just I'm go positive. get them custom made.
2: Yeah. And honestly, nice. shout out to our listeners right now. If any of you guys happen to have one or know where to find one, definitely let me know because I try and collect all Jermaine's stuff. I have like his game used wristbands and sweatbands. Uh I have his old shoes. Like I, I anything I can get my hands on for Jermaine O'Neal, man. <laughs> that is that was my hero growing up.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know I know you love this guys. So I'm just curious like I think that'd be really cool to like because, you know, the Boston jersey is not going to be much different. The Suns jersey is a little bit different. The Warriors jersey is a little bit different. But um, he, he put on the more modern style jerseys, though, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so, I mean, you could you could still get those, like, framed. That'd be really cool to hang up in your room or your office yeah. or something.
2: Yeah, his high school jersey, I never wore it. Met him at a game, got him an autographed. I always intended to, like, put it in a nice shadow box and hang that once I get Got to do that. So, Definitely got to do that. Um, and then also, I even got his big three jersey. So, you know, <laughs> get me sleeping on that, man. I had to get my hands on as many Jermaine jerseys as I could.
1: Oh, that is funny, man. So, anyway, just an interesting question. I mean, and I'm curious what our fans think as well. Do you guys think Jermaine O'Neal's jersey should be retired? Because, you know, I, I don't really know. But, I mean, I think of a guy like Zach Randolph who got his jersey retired in Memphis, right? I mean, they had some really good runs there in the Western – Uh, playoffs with him and Conley and Gasol and I'm like did did, did Randolph have more of an impact on Memphis than Jermaine had on Indiana (sighs) I mean it's tough but I think Conley Conley and Gasol really what what was that
2: Memphis never had a history so it's like he had an impact on that like the Pacers already had like a rich ABA history where like the bar was set too high
1: yeah yeah because they are an expansion team so that does make some sense yeah I'm just I'm just curious because like you know, you, you see all these guys get their high school jerseys retired and some of them get their college jerseys retired if they played in college, and it's it's really cool to see, but it's just like, man, I, I feel like the Pacers need more jerseys in the Raptors. If not jerseys in the Raptors for retirement, uh, do something like the Colts do. They have the ring of honor. I think that would be something yeah. really cool to do is like a Pacers ring of honor and have just a bunch of players that are in that. It uh, doesn't mean their jersey's retired, but you're honoring, you know, some of the great Pacers of all time, and I think it just – reminds people of the heritage of the franchise.
2: Definitely. In baseball and football, that's far more common to have that. But like in basketball, just having the jersey retired, I mean, like that's a high, high honor. So I, I feel like the Pacers could have a, a good opportunity to like, you know, if they did do that, the ring of honor type of thing and be able to, you know, reward greats like Danny Granger, Jermaine O'Neal, Rick Smiths, like guys that really contributed a lot for the franchise. I, I think that that would be a good way of connecting with those players. And I think that's something that you and I have talked about. We wish there was more of that.
1: Yeah, I do too, because I like um, when they honor those players, like when they had our tests at the game and I, who else was at the game with him that one time last uh, year, Was it
2: Chris Copeland. I oh, don't know. That might've been someone else. Oh. Someone went with Chris Copeland a while back. I don't remember who was with Ron Artest, but like David West came to a game like a year or two ago. Uh, that was probably two years ago at this point, maybe three. Yeah. But, you know. I mean, they're yeah, guys that gave a lot to this franchise.
1: Yeah, I just think that honoring those former players would be huge. Just like It might have been Al Jefferson now that I think about it. Maybe. but Because I know he's been back to see some of the games as well. But I just think they got to do a better job of trying to get these former players to come back here and just kind of embrace the franchise and that whole thing. You know, Derek McKee, he's had a lot of games. You know, Rick Smith comes to quite a few because he still lives here. Uh, same with McKee. So it's one of those things where it's like I love seeing those former players just be represented here um, as part of our fan base, even if they're brought in for like a guest appearance, whatever. But with that being said, Faji, I think that we can kind of close out that conversation quickly in our first segment. And then uh, real quick, before we take a quick break, highlight what we're going to be doing in our second uh, segment. So in our second segment, we're going to
2: be talking about the goals for the small forwards on this team. So we will be breaking down a few different goals for O'Shea Brissett Kendall Brown and Aaron Neesmith for this year.
1: Yeah. And this is probably one of the more depressing looking group of guys <laughs> uh, to to look at because just in terms of like probably no starters uh, on this group right here maybe one but you're you're pushing it if he starts I mean I'd be surprised if he does and then one guy that probably won't even play that much at all this year. Uh, with the NBA Pacers. So that's where I'm kind of at with this team right now, Foch. It's like they've got a lot of guards and they've got a lot of bigs, but they don't have any wings. And that's slim pickings right here. We're kind of forcing uh, Aaron Neesmith into a wing technically as a small forward for this exercise. But, um, you know, we've done we've done point guards, power forwards, and center. So thought we would uh, close it out this week with small forwards. And then next week, wrap up the entire segment with our shooting guard, which is going to be really fun because we got Duarte, Buddy Healed, and uh, uh, Benedict Matherin to talk about. So those are going to be the best ones to close out with. So we thought for this week, we'll we'll hit on O'Shea, Knie Smith, and Kendall Brown. But um, I'm curious just to know what everybody's thoughts are on their goals after this podcast. But let's take a quick break, and we will get into that right after this.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all you need indeed.
1: Welcome back, everybody, and we're going to jump right into it, the season goals for our small forwards on this Pacers team. Fachi, let's kick it off here with Kendall Brown, a player that we traded for in the second round of the 2022 NBA draft. Focci, uh, what do you got for Kendall Brown?
2: Look, there's Kendall has major upside, but he also has a long way to go before he can reach his full potential. And one of the goals, I'd say, is develop a consistent shot. Kendall seems to be someone who I feel like has always been super talented, really athletic, but at this level, you just can't rely on that anymore. So he's been labeled a hesitant shooter at times, and it needs to have a little bit more of a fluid shot. But when you look at this, between college and summer league, ironically, he averaged the same exact number, only 1.23s attempted per game. That Mm. is such a small clip. That is really hard to do much with. Makes me feel like he's not comfortable as a three-point shooter. The fact that he only made 14 threes in 34 games in college. So, makes me feel like he's got a long way to go. Um, But also, looking at another stat, just a 69% free throw shooter in college. So, this shot, he's got to work on it. You have to have a consistent jumper in the NBA. You can no longer rely on that that athletic ability that got you through high school and one year of college.
1: Yeah, yeah that's a great point because everybody's athletic in the NBA. So, yeah. you know, uh, we see a lot of guys like this who are super athletic in college and high school, and they end up falling out in the NBA because it just doesn't really matter as much. And I, I think you're 100% on there talking about developing that three-point shot. And I think one thing that's going to go in step with that is becoming a better on-ball scorer and you know becoming a better ball handler because when we talked with Derek murray probably about a month ago fachi we were like going through what happened with the draft and we were both kind of stunned that kendall brown fell the way that he did and i think Derek was a little bit surprised too that he fell as far as he did um thought he would maybe go to the second round but not that far down and he basically said he has no on ball game so i think if he can work on just getting a little bit of that like not saying he has to be like all out like great on ball player but i think that if he can just get one move maybe like it's gonna go volumes for him because we saw like even at baylor in that game against unc he got benched he was bad and it's a small sample size for sure in that one game uh because baylor goes on this massive run and he just wasn't really a part of it but it wasn't because he's not a good player it's just he was having a bad game that day so I feel like we're still unsure. Uh, we haven't heard officially what he's been signed to. I know there was a report from Zach Pearson about him signing to a two-way deal, but there's been nothing else said about that contract. So I am a little bit curious to see um, if that's still the case because they still have an open roster spot, Fachi. But um, I think that he's a guy that has an opportunity, if he is on the two-way deal, to, to work on some of his game in uh, in the G League.
2: Absolutely. I, I think that the potential it's, it's through the roof, but man, this is someone who would have benefited so much from coming back to college, really working on his game and improving his draft stock. But I'm sure that even he was shocked how far he fell, but man, when you talk about how it hasn't been announced of it, you know, what type of contract that felt like when we heard about it, Hey, it's probably going to be a two way. That, that must've been at least a month ago.
1: Oh, I felt be it Maybe over.
2: Yeah, so it makes me feel like the Pacers are really still waiting on a move where they can maybe, you know, make a trade, keep that roster spot available, but it feels like we, you know, we're getting that that gut feeling that he'll be a two-way contract. So, um, but hey, we'll have to leave that to be determined, but when you mentioned, you know, being able to be better on the ball, I have working on his left hand. From yeah.
3: everything
2: I've read, he is extremely far more confident using his right hand seems that he's relied on being explosive with his right hand slashing on the right side at to, to the point where he's got to develop more of a game it's just not enough you can't just kind of like bully people around or anything of that sort anymore this is there's guys that that are just they'll know your game better than you even know it if you expose that your left hand is not good enough so it's got to be far more well, well-rounded when you mention the G League perfect place to hone your craft
1: yeah, and that's why I said for my second goal, and uh, this would be our fourth goal here for Kendall, is be one of the best players in the G League for the Mad Ants, right? I mean, we've seen Terry Taylor, Dwayne Washington, even Keeper Sykes got called up last year, and they got contracts, right? Now, Kiefer ended up being non-guaranteed, and he got cut. Uh, same with Dwayne, but Terry Taylor got a standard contract out of it. So, to me, it's like you saw those guys get rewarded for playing well. And he wasn't a guy that they picked up after the draft was over. This is a guy they actually invested a draft pick in. So they're definitely more inclined to work with him, but they did cut Cassius Stanley after one season of him. So I I just feel like, um, and and Cassius, another guy, great example of someone that's super athletic that didn't pan out. I mean, or hasn't panned out yet. So um, when when I think of Kendall though, going to the G League, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about his offense and I don't want to get to your final point yet, but I I do feel like there's other areas he can really just become special at where he doesn't have to be like the primary go-to guy, but he can impact the game multiple different ways. And I think that might be leading to one of your points you have on the fifth, uh, fifth and final point here for Kendall.
2: Yeah. Because look, offensively, I think he's got a long way to go, but defensively he can make that his calling card. Look, six, eight, 6'11 wingspan, I think he's got endless potential for guarding twos and threes. I mean, this is a write-up that I read on Kendall. It said, like Kendall Brown is a defensive-oriented wing with versatility on both ends. Kendall Brown should be an automatic, positive defender for most of his career. His ability to lock players down both off-ball and on-ball make him easy to project as a positive team defender. His length, size, athleticism, and instincts also make him an easy project off-ball and being able to guard multiple positions. So, look, if his shot's not falling, you know, if the left hand isn't where we want it to be, he could still carve out a role as a defender on this team. And we've heard how much you know players that we've had on our show this offseason, how they're emphasizing Carlisle wants to play defense. they got to be better defensively. We've even talked about it. This team can score, but can they defend? That we can't confidently say yes. But if if Kendall Brown can grow as a defender, he can carve out a role on this team.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's where the Pacers like his upside is more so being a really good defender, and I think they believe in his three-point shot even though he didn't have a ton of attempts, but he could be a legitimate 3 and D guy, and I I think one of the things I like about his offensive game as well, he is not great with the ball in his hands, Foch. He definitely has the instincts to know when to cut, and that's going to be huge because we know both McConnell and Halliburton are great passers and great at finding the open guy. So if he's a willing cutter, I think that's only going to help him as well, uh, continue to grow as a player. But I think it's time to move on now to Aaron Neesmith. Fachi, what's your first goal for him?
2: All right, for Neesmith, I mean, we've heard about it, but we got to see a bigger sample size. That's, can he be a consistent three-point shooter in this league? Going back to his sophomore season in college, well, be it just 14 games, he shot a blistering, 52% 52% from three was a decent enough sample size. Oh, yeah. Over eight attempts per game. That is wow. everything that you want to hear. So, and then he proceeded to shoot 37% from three in his rookie season. Did not get the opportunities last year. But if we're, you know, if Neesmith can be a 37% three point shooter for us, he's always going to be able to get on the court or onto another roster. 37% three point shooters. Man, this league will always need shooting.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, and, and I thought it was interesting to go back and look at some of the things people were saying about him coming into the draft, and and one of the things they talked about was his three point shooting, right? So, I mean, obviously, there's so many different things that happened in his sophomore year. Flight, I mean, 23 points a game at uh, as a Vanderbilt. I think that's where he went. Yeah, yeah Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, rebounded pretty well for a guard, 4.9 rebounds a game. Um, Unfortunately, when he, you know, had that season ending stress fracture, it it definitely just hurt him, but he made a team high 63 pointers despite that. So uh, I think right there, everybody expected him to be this really good player in the NBA. And it just didn't work out for Boston. So I agree with you there. Like the shooting is something that I think if he can solidify himself in that spot, uh, it's going to be good. And I, I think, Continuing to be a good rebounder for his position is something I want to see him do here with the Pacers. They want to play fast. We know that. I mean, they have one of the fastest paced, uh, they're one of the fastest pacing uh, paced teams once Halliburton was brought on. So I think he's going to be a guy that's probably going to enjoy the run and gun more uh, a little bit because it's going to create more spacing, which I think the Pacers have done a good job of doing that. But I think if he's out there, he's going to be playing three at times and he might even uh, be playing alongside O'Shaver so he could play the forward points. So that's where I think he's going to have to be a better rebounder for his position. Uh, this team last year was really bad on the glass once the bonus was traded. Um, you know, Jalen Smith was probably the team's best rebounder uh, statistically, but I think Terry Taylor if he'd got more time probably would have been right up there as well. So that's your two best rebounders but they're not going to be playing uh, a ton of minutes together. So It'll be interesting to see, but I definitely think that, that Smith can be a better rebounder for his position.
2: I, I really do think that he can. I think the Pacers overall have struggled from an individual rebounding standpoint. I think there's there's been a lot of guys that just were not bringing rebounding to the table outside of Sabonis, averaging about 12 rebounds per game. So I, I think that that's a great point where you know, he can stay on the court if he can rebound and hit three. So that'd be great. Next, I have... Taking his defense to the next level. Look, everything we've heard—I mentioned before—Carl wants defense. Well, if if Neesmith is not knocking down the three ball, then what else is he really going to be bringing to the table? Well, if he can carve out a role defensively, there's going to be an opportunity for him consistently in the rotation. The reason why I say this is because in college he was averaging one and a half steals and basically a block per game. So. That's awesome. He's also coming over from the top defensive unit in the league last year with Celtics. So you got to imagine defense has always been something that was emphasized all of last year. So it feels like if he can, you know, focus on getting stops, he'll have a role in the rotation, you know, consistently, which is something that he has not had in the last 2 years.
1: Yeah, I know. That's a that's a great point. I, I think if you read his college, you know, the, the scouting report, once again, they raved about his defense. And, you know, I was a guest on a podcast earlier this week. And when I was talking to one of the, the guys that covered the draft, basically just talked about how he's kind of been a poor defender in the NBA. So, you know, he's going to have to sure up on that. But I've also heard people talk about him being a good defender. So it's kind of just, I guess, up for debate what kind of defender he is right now. I, I haven't watched enough of his game to be completely honest with you to tell you, flat out if he's a great defender or if he's a bad defender so far in the NBA. But um, I think there's probably somewhere in the middle between both those comments that I heard. And um, there's definitely more to be desired there on the defensive side of things. So hoping he can do that as well, but you talked about it. If he can be a good rebounder, first position and knock down threes and he's going to be consistently in the rotation. And that's kind of what I'm curious to watch. I, I think Neesmith needs this opportunity to showcase what he can do. So I, I put, will he be consistently in the rotation, but you know, this is a goal. So he needs to be in it because if he's not then I think this is going to showcase like, okay, maybe he's not worth the pick that he was taken at. And I wonder like long-term how he fits in the NBA. Is he ever going to be a rotation guy or is he going to be one of those guys? That's part of the 11 to 15 man roster, you know, that, that, that tier where he's not getting consistent rotation minutes and is just trying to hang on for a job. So um, I'm hoping this new opportunity provides him an opportunity to be consistently in the rotation. And the Pacers, you talked about it uh, not too long ago on one of our podcasts, we talked about the standings. You know, the Pacers traded scraps uh, for for Brogdon, basically. And we got Neesmith back as one of those scraps, as you called him. So I hope that he's not a scrap.
2: (laughs) And he actually is scrappy
1: and can get us some good minutes here.
2: Yeah, look, I'd love to eat that that comment over there, but a lot remains to be seen. This is a guy, former lottery pick. I mean, at this point, the potential is there. I feel like he just didn't get the enough time in Boston because they were competing to try and win it all. So I, I think that he's probably learned a lot from that experience. But, man, if, he, if he's going to be a consistent player in the NBA, consistently in the rotation, this stop in Indiana is the place to do it. That brings me into my last goal for him. Don't force it. Or just make sure you make the right play. I know this guy wants to show that I belong in the rotation. Like, I'm going to do it. And it's a super limited sample size. Yes, it's summer league. But I was not impressed with his play. He forced it a lot. And in the three games that he played, he averaged 12.3 shots per game. that was the second most on the team behind Benedict Mathering. Sure, you can make an argument. Look, a lot of the starters with better players were not out there. So why not shoot? Well, what did he shoot? He shot 27%. Mm. All right. By all means, that's rough. Yeah. Next, he averaged 3.7 turnovers and over five fouls per game in summer league. So we're talking about a guy averaging nearly four turnovers, over five fouls, and shot sub-30% from the field. I mean, it was a rough summer league showing for a guy going into year three. So I think he forced it too much. Maybe he felt that, like, I have a lot to prove and I want to come out here, you know, saying I don't even belong here. At this point, it's, hey, slow down there, young fella. All right? It's going to come. You know, it's, it's, it's going to work out. But don't be the guy that becomes, you know, by any means, I don't want to say like a black hole or anything. But, you know, let's, let's move it around. Make the smart play. You make the smart play, so we're going to be an opportunity for you.
1: Yeah, no, and, and I, I completely agree with that, Fachi. I think it's now time to put a bow on Aaron Smith and move on to O'Shea said, What is your first goal for O'Shea?
2: All right, this is the, the, the fun part over here because, look, we all like O'Shea. It was nice enough to come on our show and, and chat, but O'Shea's that guy that we rooted for from the 10-day contract to, you know, now two seasons later, he's still here, so it's awesome. But I said continue to improve his on-the-ball defense. His team's extremely thin at the three, extremely thin. You can make an, a, a case to say that, hey, he, he's our best small forward right over here, you know, given the situation of a more of a true three, but you also talked about this is a guy that could start for us. This is a guy who did start for us, but he's got to bring it night in, night out, taking on the challenge to guard the opposing team's best small forward, which is that's a big challenge. It means on some nights you could get cooked, but you gotta you gotta be ready to take on that challenge each and every night. And I think that he's the guy that when we look at it, say, who's going to guard so and so? Hey, let's give O'Shea a shot.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. I think you're going to see Matherin potentially, Duarte get some of those opportunities as well to guard players. But I think at this point, looking at physical tools, uh, O'Shea's got the best size to guard those type of players. I mean, if Paul George is out there and Kawhi's out there, you're going to want O'Shea out there trying to defend one of those guys. And I'm not really sure how good of a defender he can become. I think a lot of defense is mental and, and knowing where to be and... You know, some sometimes guys overthink it and just work super hard on trying to do this and do that without realizing, like, uh maybe I'm just overthinking this and I got to get to my right spots and just read this scouting report. If it says he likes to go right a lot, try to force him left and and figure out the best way to uh, not only play a great one on one defense, but how you can work together to play good team defense. And I think that's something that we're going to see from him definitely growth wise this year, because Carlisle has been hinting at defense a lot recently. So for me, um, I think one thing that's going to help him with his defense is um, since he's the only true wing, like this is like really crazy, but he's the only true wing they have. He needs to be consistently in the rotation. And I know I have brought that up for a couple different players, but um, with with O'Shea, Flachi, I, I am a little bit concerned about how inconsistent his playing time was last year.
2: Oh, big time.
1: And we know that it got a little bit better. Um, once, uh, once the trades were made and stuff like that, but he was getting benched for Tory Craig and Justin Holiday. And I understand they were trying to win games, but like Justin Holiday did not have a good season with the Pacers last year, it was bad. Um, we'll be honest, Tory Craig was very underwhelming. I, th- I think he was fine, but he was not as good as advertised when we brought him in. So, for me personally, I would have loved to see O'Shea get a lot more run than he did last year. The fact that it took a massive overhaul to get him minutes. And the fact he didn't get an extension makes me wonder how much they're invested in him long-term. So I I hope that they are, hope they can get an extension done before the season's over because we'll have an idea of what the roster might be looking like heading into the off season. But I just, I I think there's a lot to like here with him and I just want to see him get that consistent run that he deserves. I mean,
2: you're completely right. I mean, there was a lot of games, especially that first month. O'Shea was just getting, did not play Coach decisions or playing, you know, I'm looking at it right now three minutes, 25 seconds, three minutes, 57 seconds, like a handful of games he's playing under five minutes per game. And it it was sad because we really were like, what? Why is no Shea out there? But clearly Carlisle was not no Shea guy. Um, And I just, he's someone we're rooting for. I would like to see that contract extension get done because I feel like he probably does have a lot of pressure on him to be like, hey, look, like, you know, if I'm not coming back to the Pacers, this whole season's an audition for the rest of the league. And, you know, if he's forcing his shot, it's not really going to help. And last year, he was pretty inaccurate at times. I mean, the previous year, O'Shea, O'Shea shot 48%. This year, 41%, which leads me to my next point, is basically be a far more consistent three-point shooter. The reason why I say that, let's take a look at it. Uh, 2020, 2021, he shot 42% from three. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Last year, 35%. It's a mm. big drop-off. Yeah. But I want to take you through the inconsistencies of it. So month by month, October shoots just under 29%. November, just over 33%. December, 41%. January, just under 27%. Ooh. February, 37%. March, April, 47. This guy went from either being an elite three-point shooter to being like basically a liability from three at times. Got to find a a common ground somewhere in the middle. We're not asking for him to shoot. Can you shoot 40%? No, like can you give us 37, 37% (laughs) or just be a little bit more consistent, but it can't be the highs and lows of swinging your three-point percentage by 15% each month. That's just way too much.
1: No, that's a great point. I think going month by month, you can kind of see like he probably had a bad month in March because I thought he struggled a little bit in March. I think he might have hit a wall, planned mm-hmm. a lot more minutes, probably wasn't ready for it. And then April came and end of the season's getting near and he's probably like not excited, but like trying to prove himself, obviously knowing that he could get an extension in the summer and there's less games in April. So definitely helped with the averages there in terms of him going back up. But you know, you think about it, it's just like when you're not getting that consistent run and and you're trying to find yourself, get your footing, it's so hard to figure out. So I, I think that's a great point. If he can just be consistent, and we've talked about this with some other guys too, like we're not asking you to be great. We're not asking you to be like Tyrese level. We're not asking you to be elite, but just be average or above average. We want you to be above league average. Uh And I think that's going to come because we're going to see a lot more threes, I feel like, this year. Looking at the Pacers' offense last year, I think it was 12th, um, they were 12 in offense after the Halliburton trade. So we know the Pacers are going to put up a lot of points, and I think that's going to give guys like O'Shea a real good opportunity to to find his rhythm from behind the arc. So for me, Fachi, my last one here is I want him to be a better finisher. Um, we know he was really working on that in Summer League two years ago, and there was times where he was almost kind of forcing things in Summer League trying to get foul calls. But um, similar to Tyrese at times, he can pick the ball up a little bit too early and doesn't get all the way to the rim where he needs to get to before he picks the ball up. And it's kind of putting him in no man's land. So one thing for me, it's just like, get into the teeth of the defense, get yourself to the foul line and create that contact. Because if you don't and and you pick the ball too early, then you're not going to have any efficient, uh, you know, free throw attempt number. And you're not going to be efficient two point percentage wise, because you're going to be taking some really awkward, tough, contested shots. So I want to see him get to the rim a little bit more and be able to finish through contact a little bit more. So just becoming a better driver is really going to help his overall game because we know he's got athleticism. Like he's got some crazy cool dunks. He's Mm -hmm. got the potential, like you said, to be a consistent three-point shooter. So really, I think if he can just, you know, sure up on a couple of these goals we have for him, there's no doubt in my mind he gets that extension.
2: Oh yeah, I would love to see just what you mentioned of him be able to get to the hoop more, just be more efficient, I mean, this is a guy that his fish and field goal percentage, it fell from 59 to 49 last year. It's a huge drop. So we'd love to be able to see him, you know, just, just be more active, which leads me into my my last you know, point. I want him to challenge himself to play bigger. No, he shouldn't have to be forced to play small ball five. We've seen him do it before. We've also talked about it. I mean, this is a guy that could be playing a bunch of power forward. This year as well. I mean, if, if there's any injuries right over there, there's really not a lot of depth at the four. You got Isaiah Jackson behind Jalen Smith. That's about it. So I think at this point, I remember O'Shea getting 17 rebounds versus Oklahoma, uh, o- uh, um, OKC two years ago. So at this point, it's like, man, play a little bit bigger. And it brings me into as it relates to blocks. Two seasons ago, 20, 20 blocks in 21 games. This past season, 29 blocks in 67 games. It's a huge drop off. So challenge him. Hey, play bigger than what you're listed at at 6'7", because that's what the NBA is going. They're going smaller, more athletic like that. So there's going to be times where O'Shea could be called upon to play that role. And if he's ready, there's going to be teams out there, even if it's not the Pacers, that absolutely have a need for what he brings to the table.
1: Yeah, he's very interesting, Fachi. I mean, I, I am really intrigued to see what kind of lineups they can use with him. Uh, do you have a favorite lineup that you'd like to see him involved with?
2: I don't know if I do, but if we're talking about just a fun lineup, I mean, it would be cool to see, you know, him and Isaiah Jackson playing. I mean, I don't know if there's ever, I mean, there's a lineup where it's like Halliburton, uh, Matherin, Duarte, O'Shea, Isaiah Jackson. That'd be a fun five.
1: right? Yeah. There. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I also kind of like the idea of maybe starting him at the small forward with Matherin and Halliburton, Jalen Smith and Miles Turner. Yeah. That, to me, could be probably one of your better defensive lineups. Maybe maybe you need Chris Duarte in there over Matherin at this point just because he's got more experience and he was a pretty good defender last year. But, yeah, I I think just some iterations of that where they're a little bit bigger because we've seen, like, we talked about them earlier in the week, the Cavaliers, you know, they had – Uh, they had a really weird lineup with Laurie and playing three and they were a lot bigger. So it'll be situational. I'm not saying do it every game, but at times I would like to see that lineup be just a little bit bigger, just to kind of see what it looks like, because Halliburton being your smallest guy at six foot five, um, I think that's kind of intriguing.
2: No, it really is. At that point, it's, it gives you some options. It really does. So (laughs) It'd be a fun lineup. It re- it really would. I think the Pacers are going to have plenty of time to be able to experiment around. Um, so we might see that lineup for better or worse.
1: <laughs> for better or for worse is the 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 truth there, Fachi. So <laughs> that wraps up our season goals for the small forwards, ladies and gentlemen. That was a a deep dive into some players we probably didn't plan on doing too much of a deep dive into this year, but um, we'll revisit this uh, once we come into the season and see how these guys are doing on those goals. But Fachi. With that being said, let the people know where they can find us on social media.
2: Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore FACCI. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on
1: TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Go to youtube.com and type in Setting the Pace or Pacers Podcast or go to Google type in setting the pace youtube and it's right there for you ladies and gentlemen so whichever one is easier for you that is how i would recommend doing it but if you're excited to see O'Shea, Brissett, aaron neesmith and kendall brown in pacer uniform this year say these three words
3: let's go pacers setting the pace going to the top setting the pace going to the top this is your number one podcast sweeping every team we gonna need a mop everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in